Hey, good morning, guys. This is awesome. What a beautiful day. We're so excited that everybody's here together. Uh, yeah, let's pray, and then we're just going to worship the King together. God, thank you for this day. Thanks for the beautiful weather. We know, we believe that you created all this with a word, and that you love us, that you're with us, you're for us. And so as we sing this morning, would you just help our hearts to be ready and open to uh, whatever you're going to teach us, whatever you're going to say, God, and that your Holy Spirit would be in the driver's seat this morning, God, that you would get us all out of the way and that we would have fellowship with one another as we walk in your light, God. That is what makes us alive. God, we praise you and we trust you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance the exodus of my heart you found me and you freed me held back the waters for my release oh yeah you're the
standing on your faithfulness on your Good morning, everybody. Ooh, you guys could take a seat. My name is Josh Hodgson. I'm the student pastor here at Rimrock Church. I'm happy to be out here in the meadow worshiping with you guys today. And I uh, have a few announcements, a couple of things coming up this summer that we really want you guys to know about. Um, first of all, I want to welcome everyone who's here. If you're a guest, we'd love to connect with you. And uh, so back by the basketball hoop, there's some water. There's also some welcome cards. And we would just love to be in community with you throughout the week, not just on Sundays. And part of that is us getting to know you a little bit. So introduce yourself. We'd love to get you connected. Um, this coming Friday, we have a special event here in the Meadow. And uh, we're going to do a worship night at 7 o'clock this Friday here um, in the same place. It's going to be beautiful. Um, and uh, beforehand, they're actually going to open it up a little bit earlier. And they're inviting families to come and play games, uh, bring a picnic lunch with you at 5.30, and just come hang out in the Meadow. Um, it's a beautiful spot in the evening. Usually it's starting to cool down out here. And uh, so I want to welcome all of you guys to come and be a part of that. Also want to let everyone know there's an annual meeting um, coming up. Uh, so the meeting is July 31st. And there's meeting agenda and absentee ballots uh, at the welcome tables. And so there's one over here and there should be one on this side too. Um, August 28th, at the end of the summer, um, we do our traditional uh, day in the meadow with baptisms. And so down here in the creek on the 28th, we're going to be doing baptisms down here. If you have uh, felt God stirring in your heart to take that step of faith and to be baptized, um, me and any of the other pastors would love to talk with you about that and get you prepared for that. So um, if you would reach out to me or Ben or Boomer or Michael, any of us on staff, we would love to talk to you about getting baptized. Um, I also have a special thing today that we're going to do. Um, we have a Costa Rica team uh, made up of father and sons from this church that are heading down to go work with our missionary Eduardo uh, and Increase Ministries um, in about a week and a half. We're heading down on Wednesday, and we're going to spend about eight days there just helping bless Eduardo in his ministry with some of the projects they have going on. They're working on a sustainable income system of a hydroponics farm, which includes fish and vegetables that, that grow kind of symbiotically together. And uh, it'll provide food for him and his team, and they might be able to sell some of that. Um, but we're doing a lot of the prep work for that because some other things have been delayed. But I would love to invite our team up at this point. And so if you guys are coming with us next Wednesday, I'd love to have you guys come up here. And then uh, Mike Hayes is going to come up and pray for us. Uh, he's been a part of this church for a long time and has been a big part of helping us plan this trip. Um, his relationship with Eduardo is a big reason that any of this has happened. And... Uh, it's been a blessing. Eduardo's been able to come here twice this year and visit with us and meet with a lot of these students already. And so we're just looking forward to this time of discipleship, uh, this time of blessing, of growth together, uh, opportunity to serve. And uh, so I'm just going to pass the mic to you guys, let you introduce yourselves real quick. Uh, there's a few on our team who are not here. Uh, one of our, is Pearson not here too? Okay. Um, one of ours is out uh, counseling at Halawasa and is staying for a second week, so he's still out there um, helping out with middle school and high school week or middle school and grade school week. And uh, but I'm going to pass it down and let you guys just introduce yourselves. 
Well, good morning. I'm Andrew Vig, and two of my sons, Brinkley and Pearson, will be going. Unfortunately, neither one of them can be here this morning, but uh, they will be on the trip. Hello, my name is Cole Beckloff, and here's my dad. <laughs> Glad to be here with him. Yeah, we're just, I'm Darren Beckloff, and I'm Cole's dad. Um, we're looking forward to uh, what God's going to be doing there in Costa Rica, seeing what, what uh, Eduardo and all his team has been doing all these years uh, that we've uh, got to see him and when he comes up here. But really, especially looking forward to some cooler weather. <laughs> I was checking the weather forecast, and it's a lot cooler there. Cooler and wetter, I hear. Yeah. Uh, my, my name is Paul Shagel. Um, we're from the downtown campus. Uh, we're really excited to, um, to, to go on this trip and just look forward to your guys' prayers while we're down there. I'm Jack Shankle, and this is my dad, Paul. And uh, I just spent a whole week with Cole, uh, Blake, and Pearson, so I'm really excited to hang out with the boys and hanging out with, uh, with our dads. And so it's going to be a good time. I'm excited. Uh, also, uh, Randy and Blake Wyshed will be going on the trip, too, and they're not here with us this morning. But um, I'm just excited for this trip with you guys. Um, it's been cool to see your hearts in pre preparation for it. Each of the guys on the job has a, or each of the guys on the team has a job that they're going to be doing while we're down there. Um, of, there's a couple of guys doing breakfast. Cole, that's you and Pearson, right? You guys got breakfast handled, right? Yeah. Brinkley. Okay. Um, but we're just excited for this and uh, excited for what God's going to do through this. Um, and... Uh, a lot of people who end up in missions later in life always look back at these short-term missions that kind of start stirred that in their hearts. And for me, I'm even looking back. You guys just got back from CIY, um, but it was a year ago. I remember the four of you guys, four of you who were coming on this trip with us, stood up when they were asking uh, you if the Holy Spirit was moving you to give your hearts and your lives to the church in whatever capacity that could be. And so this is kind of a vision trip for them in a lot of ways to see is this what God has for me, or is there some other way in the church that I can serve God moving forward um, in the years ahead? And so I'm just excited to see what God's been doing in the past, what he's doing now, and what he's going to do in the future with all of this. So um, I'm going to hand it over to Mike here. And Morning. Let's stand with these guys, okay? God in heaven, you are incredible, and we do thank you that you include us in your plan. That, Lord God, as these guys go down, as they head to Costa Rica, as they go through the airports, Lord God, you got a plan for each and every step of the way. And, Father, in that, you're very intentional, and I thank you that these guys are as well. For Pastor Josh, Lord God, his heart and taking his, his guys, Lord God, and their dads, Father, what an incredible opportunity for him. And for your spirit, Lord God, just to melt their hearts and their minds and their spirits, Lord God, with yours. So, Father, we pray. As a church, Lord God, we pray for each one individually that you would touch each one, Lord God, just to um, make themselves available, Lord God, to all that you have in store. But as a team, Lord God, they will shine and they will reflect you. So, Father, thank you for that. Certainly pray for Eduardo, his team as well, Lord God, because they're praying the same prayer, have the same heart, the same mind, the same mission, Lord God. It's just reflecting you, being you to all that they come in contact with. So, Father, protect them. Encourage them, challenge them, and give them a great adventure with you. Much like you did with your disciples, thinking of Ben's message this morning, Lord God, in those 4,000 feeding, Lord God, the disciples had no clue, but they just walked in obedience and might these guys as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Mike.
search the world But it couldn't fill me Man's empty praise And treasures of fame Are never enough Then you came along And put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of Mercy and grace won't find me again. Ooh. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. shame into glory you're the only one who can turn morning to dancing you turn morning to dancing you get beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory you're the only one who can turn graves into gardens turn graves into gardens you turn bones into armies you turn seas into highways you're the only one who can oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing better than you Give beauty for ashes 
glory. You're the only one who can. Graves in the garden. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one.
Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name back there, there's some shade, and we could always just baptize you today. There's a really cool river back there. We're not afraid to do that. Praise God for His church. Um, baptism is, a, is an important thing for us as Christians because we believe our life is found in Jesus Christ, and uh, He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And He's doing that, and uh, one of the ways... He does that is through baptism we identify with Jesus, we become His, and we're part of His family. And just so blessed for the family of God. Uh, just thinking this week of all the people that serve here at Rimrock Church and lots of churches in our community serving Christ. And one of the evidences of a disciple of Jesus is uh, sacrificial love. And uh, that's what uh, John 15 says: If we abide in Him, He will abide in us, and we'll bear much fruit. And so. So thankful for everyone who served behind the scenes here at Rimrock Church, for people going down to Costa Rica and serving. It's uh, one of the hallmarks of a follower of Jesus is we're called servants. <laughs> Jesus said, I have called you my friends, but he said, I came to serve and not to be served. And so there's something very powerful. And I think that's so important for us to remember in the church is our vision is a community being transformed by Jesus Christ. And the way we're transformed is is as we uh, put our faith in Jesus, we trust Him and His power in our lives, but as we step out in obedience and serve others and give to others, God, God does something profound in our lives. So this morning we're going to be in Mark uh, chapter 8, and uh, I'm so, uh, on Wednesday with our staff we gathered and it confirmed my suspension that I, I made a good decision not to do an object lesson last week. As Jesus stuck his fingers in 
a man's ear and <laughs> put his uh, spit on a man's tongue. We, we, uh, we're, we're thankful Jesus didn't tell us to do everything that he did. <laughs> there's some, some things he clearly tells us to do, but there's some things that he did uniquely in people's lives that let them know how much they were loved. And I bet Jesus has done something really unique in your life that he hasn't done in anyone else's because that's, that's who Jesus is. He loves each of us personally, individually, completely. And we see that through the gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 8, and um, I'm just going to kind of walk through this uh, first 25 or 21 verses. And we're going to take three sections. We're going to see Jesus' interaction with the crowd. We're going to see Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. And then we're going to see Jesus' interaction with the disciples. But they're all connected. I, I think Jesus has... A message for us today. This wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. This is for us today and, and the people that he is calling to be his disciples. I, I believe some of you are his disciples. Some of you are considering being his disciples. And some of you are, are, are thinking, it's not for me. But, but I want you to hear and see what Jesus says as he encounters these three groups. First, let's look at the crowd Verse 1 of chapter 8, During those days another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is uh, revealing a God full of compassion? He had compassion on the people. For they have already been with me for three days. So, I mean, we've been out here maybe half an hour, right? <laughs> these people were outside in the field for three days listening to Jesus teach. And they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground and then he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples and distributed to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also. And he told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate, and they were satisfied. Hold on to that. They were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 were present. And after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalamatha. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and saying, didn't we already read this? <laughs> didn't, didn't we already listen to a message about this? Because a few chapters before in Mark, there was a very similar story, almost exactly the same, where Jesus fed 5,000. So why, why do we have this story again. I think it, it must be important. In fact, I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that maybe this is the, the central miracle of Jesus. I mean, Jesus did all kinds of miracles. He did all kinds of amazing things, but, but all the gospel writers make this miracle central because I think it's central to our understanding of who Jesus is and what he wants to do in us and what he wants to do in our world. And so we have take two. But there's a few key differences. One is, before Jesus did the feeding of the 5,000 in Galilee, 
but on the Jewish side of the lake. So there was a Jewish side of the lake where Jesus and his disciples were from. And then there was a Greek side, which is the Decapolis. That's where Jesus healed the man with demons. That's where he healed uh, this deaf man, mute man. And this is a region, a non-Jewish region, heavily influenced by Greece and paganism. And so he's in that region when he does this miracle. Second, he, uh, he feeds 4,000 instead of 5,000 in this time. But the disciples are almost exactly the same. <laughs> like, it's a take two of the, the same lesson because Jesus says, let's feed these people. And then the first time, he specifically told the disciples, you give them something to eat. He's not as specific this time, but he implies that they should do something about it. And, uh, and again, they are filled with anxiety, saying, God, we can't do this. It's too big of a problem for us. And I think we can relate to the disciples. Have you faced problems that are too big for you? I sure have. <laughs> I think that's very common human experience. And here we have Jesus teaching his disciples something about him and what he wants to do in them and what he wants to do in the world. And so again, Jesus gives thanks. He breaks the bread. He has compassion. And we learn so much about Jesus and what he came to do. That he came for the lost. That he came for the hurting. He came for the broken. He came for the needy. And we see that again. And we see his provision. We see the people satisfied. And we see abundance. How many basketfuls left over? Seven. Before it was 12. Abundance. More than enough. Jesus fully satisfies. Now we're going to go into the second movement here. So the crowd, and now we're going to look at the Pharisees, but they're connected. Don't lose sight of the feeding of the 4,000. Just like we couldn't lose sight of the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus had the interaction with his disciples in the boat and the storm as they were terrified and wondered if they would survive the storm. And Jesus said, take courage, it is I, I am don't be afraid. Verse 11, then the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. We know from earlier, Mark, that the Pharisees' mind have already been made up about Jesus. In fact, it's clearly stated that they intended to kill him. <laughs> like, they, they're already set against him. So, so their, their questions are not sincere. It says they came to test him. They came to trap him. They came to get him in trouble. And they asked him for a sign from heaven. Remember, what has Jesus just done? He's just fed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish. They asked him for a sign. And he sighed deeply. The English language can't capture the word there. In fact, it's a Greek word that's only used once or twice in the whole New Testament. Only a few times in other literature. But it literally means to groan. It's a, it's a deep deep sorrow, a deep, deep sorrow. Jesus despairs in great sadness. And he said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. In Matthew's gospel, in the chapter 15, it says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and got back in the boat and crossed the other side. You see here an encounter with the Pharisee. Now, 
maybe you're like me, but when I read the Gospels, and it's very clear that the Pharisees are the antagonists, that they're the enemies, that they're the ones trying to destroy Jesus. And we can easily label other people Pharisees. But I've got to be real honest with you as I examine my own heart. And the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I see Pharisee in me. And the more I see Pharisee in us. You see, this is a common human heart condition <laughs> that we become Pharisees. And Jesus knew that. And that's why I think these stories are included to help us see, to understand. And we're going to see in Jesus' interaction with the disciples that there's a little bit of Pharisee in them as well. We have to be honest with that. And that's, that's why Jesus came. He came to honestly, truthfully confront us and help us. And to help us, we have to see the reality of, of where our hearts are at. What is our true condition? You can't go to the doctor with cancer and hope he tells you something else. Like, if you have cancer, you want to know it. <laughs> you got to know it. Because it's the only way you can get help. It's the only way you can receive healing. It's the only way that God can truly help us if we see our true condition. So what is it about the Pharisee here? They're asking for a sign. They're asking for a sign. You know... I think about my own life and I think about how many times have I said, if only. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, if only? <laughs> I, would, I would believe in Jesus, if only. I, 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 would, I would do this, if only. I, I would be happy, if only. You see, Jesus highlights the, the condition of the human being is that, that we often focus on our lack like, wasn't this the issue with the disciples, with the feeding of the 5,000? Like, like, the problem was too big. They couldn't handle it. They said, we can't do anything about it. They only could look at their lack. They could only look at the problem. They could only see what they didn't have. And they couldn't see what they did have. It was Jesus who pointed out, what do you have? <laughs> what do you have? And the Pharisees, they can only see what lacks. They wanted something different than what they already had and what Jesus was presenting to them. And, and this, is the, this is the crux of the human misery, <laughs> the human condition. If only. Think about all the if onlys in your life right now. What are you saying that if only I had this or if only I could do this, then I would be happy, then I would be satisfied. I can imagine all of us have something that we're saying if only. And this was the Pharisees, and they couldn't see Jesus, the Son of God, the King of glory, the one who created the stars and the heavens and the trees and the fields and the birds and created the breath in our lungs and the blood in our veins and created everything that exists and sustains everything. They couldn't see him standing right before him. What things can't we see that God has given us? That what God is doing in front of us. This is, a, this is the human condition. So close, yet so far. So close, yet so far. Verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. And then Jesus said, verse 15, and this is, this is the key verse for this whole section for us. 
Be careful, Jesus warned them. And this isn't just like a, a soft be careful. This is like, watch out. I got a warning from you. Danger. I can tell you I have three boys. I'm warning them a lot because I see a lot of danger, right? Because we, we warn the people we love. We warn them because we love them. We care about them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Be careful. Watch out. And they discussed this with one another and said, is this, is this because we don't have any bread? <laughs> like, like their minds are still with the feeding of the 4,000, right? And the feeding of the 5,000 is like, like Jesus, the, the situations are too big for us and we don't, we don't have enough. Is this because we don't have enough? Is this because we're lacking something? And he said, why are you talking about no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your, are your hearts still hardened? Remember the, in the boat when the disciples were afraid and the wind and the waves and the storm and Jesus said why are your hearts so hard like their hearts were hard they, they couldn't receive they couldn't see they couldn't understand what Jesus wanted to teach them and I wonder do our hearts get hard do we forget do we fail to see do you have eyes but fail to see Jesus had ears but fail to hear and don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand so Jesus, Jesus takes us back to that first time. How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And then he broke this. And then when I broke the seven loaves and the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered seven. And he said to them, Do you still not understand? I can't think of a more important, relevant, urgent question for us today. Do we understand who Jesus is? Do we understand what he is doing in us, what he's doing in this world? Because I forget. <laughs> you forget. We forget like the disciples. And we need reminders. And honestly, brothers and sisters, this is why we gather once a week. Not because, not because uh, it's not just for, about us because it feels good or, or we like the music or we like the preaching. You see, we, we get it all wrong. We, we think we're at the center of it all and we think this life is about us and our desires and what we want. But Jesus is revealing something so much grander, so much more beautiful, so much more glorious, a bigger story than just my little story or your little story. This is God's story. This is about Jesus. This is about who God is, the creator, the maker, the glorious one, the holy one, the one worthy of all things, the creator of life, the sustainer of life. He has something he wants for us to know that will satisfy us, <laughs> that will, will address the deepest problems, the deepest longings, the deepest dysfunction and brokenness that we face as human beings. And he asks, do you still not understand? So what is the, what is the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod? And, and, and we know because of what Mark has already told us. We know from earlier in chapter 7 that Jesus had a, a, a discussion with the Pharisees that got to the root of the issue. And we know earlier that there was an interaction with Herod where, where Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. And so from those two stories, here's what we can understand about the yeast. And yeast is a, a picture of sin. It's a picture of brokenness. It's a picture of slavery. It's a picture of the human condition. And, 
And the Jews would have understood this right away, linking back to Egypt, right, where they were slaves in Egypt. And when they left and God delivered them out of Egypt, they took bread and they didn't have time to bake it with yeast. And, and so yeast became a picture of sin, of brokenness, became a picture of the human condition without God, apart from God. And so in Matthew, Jesus specifically says, watch out for the teachings of Herod and the Pharisees. So, so what do we learn about Herod? Herod had no room for God. In fact, his God was his desires, sexual desires, desire for fame, for power, to control others, to rule over others. And we see in Herod a picture of all of us in our, our own little baby thrones, but from the moment we're born, we, we are selfish beings, and we have all these desires and these needs, and so we go after them and we pursue them. If, if there's one uh, philosophy or teaching that is uh, dominated our culture. It's the teaching of Herod that is a uh, teaching of self-fulfillment, selfish desire, that individual expression of desire is the most important thing. And, and if you've watched any TV, watched any movies, been anything in our culture, you've been embedded in this teaching. You've been told this since you were children that, that you have to find yourself, that you have to go after your dreams, that you just, if you want it, you go for it. And it's all about human desire and human need, and it's all about that. Jesus says, watch out. Be careful. And we know from Herod that the end result is only death. And we know throughout the Bible's teaching that Egypt became a picture of death, of slavery, of bondage. And it could be sex, food, drink. If we pursue our desires, it will destroy us, and we will not be satisfied. And God doesn't want that for us. <laughs> He wants to satisfy us. He had compassion on the crowd. He said, they're they sheep without a shepherd. They don't, they don't know what they need, but I have what they most need, what they most want. What they most desired is found in me. He cares for us. He loves us. And he wants to fulfill us and he wants to satisfy us. But watch out for the yeast of Herod. But there's another group who, who would have said, amen, brother, the the, the yeast of Herod is terrible. The Pharisees would have agreed with that statement. And they said in chapter 7 that the way to address human desire and the way to address the problems of humanity was through performance, discipline, through laws and rules and regulations that if we just pass the right laws, if we just enforce the right laws, then that will take care of the problem. Brothers and sisters, the spirit of the Pharisees is alive and well in our culture. We think about what's happening in our country, in our world. There's a, there's a big tug of war between Herod and the Pharisees right now. But Jesus says they're both wrong. They're both yeast, and they will both only lead to destruction. They will only lead to emptiness. It won't satisfy. It won't solve the deepest human need and the human problem. It leaves us empty. As Pascal says, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. We can't solve it either way, either by giving in to our desires or fighting against our desires in our own strength through our own performance. We can't do it. We're not able. Is this the whole point where Jesus is, he keeps taking the disciples into situations they can't handle? He takes us into situations we can't handle. Why? Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. 
And he wants us to know what will truly, truly satisfy. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the central message of the Bible, the central message of the gospel is that God has come to us, that Jesus came into this world to rescue us, to save us from our sin, our yeast, our Herod and Pharisee-like hearts. We needed rescuing. We needed transformation from something outside of ourselves. We couldn't do it on our own. We needed God to step in, to intervene, and to save us. So we, we place our faith in Him because of His grace, and He gives us eternal life. He satisfies our ultimate desires. He knows our needs. He will meet our needs. He says in John chapter 6, whoever believes in me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I just want to share a story of where this became real in my own life. And uh, I was in Bible school, and uh, we can hear these things a lot, you know, but God has unique ways of teaching us, doesn't he? And so where, where faith became alive, this lesson, I think what Jesus is wanting to teach us came alive, was not in the classroom uh, being taught the Bible, but was in my job as a window washer. <laughs> and so I had to work my way through college, and so I got a job washing windows in Chicago. And so I had to wash windows on the ground level, but I also had to wash windows uh, in high-rise buildings. And it, it kind of left an impression to me the day they hired me. They said, uh, the, the guy who did this before you got fired. <laughs> I said, really? What did he do? And they said, well, he got to the tallest building, and he set up his rope, and he got to the edge of the building, and he couldn't go off. He, he, he held on to the edge of that building for, for two hours. Uh, the president of the college and the board of trustees of the college were sitting, having a business meeting, and they were watching him cling to the side of the building, terrified <laughs> of going off the side of the building. <laughs> so I thought, oh boy, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> Can I do this? Um, and I had a, a healthy respect of heights, still do. Maybe a little fear of heights. And I thought, God, I, I don't know if I can do this job. And I remember as I began to set up my ropes to repel off the side of tall buildings, and I would pray and I'd say, God, somehow give me what I don't have to be able to do this because I, I don't have it in me to do this. I'm scared. I can't do this. And then God began to teach me not about jumping off buildings, but about faith, this lesson. And I realized that what I wasn't understanding in the classroom, God was teaching me on the side of buildings that faith in Jesus was a lot like that rope. You know, I, I had all the facts. I knew that rope could hold me. I knew that rope would not let me down, I, would not drop me. <laughs> it would let me down, but not drop me. That I would be fine with that rope. But it's a very different thing when you're on the edge of a building, looking down, and you have to put your full weight your full trust in that rope. I think that's the issue here. Will we put our full weight, our full trust in Jesus? Will we just not know intellectually or conceptually that He is the Son of God, but will we believe in Him? Will we believe that He is the bread of life? <laughs> that ultimate satisfaction, the, the deepest problems in our lives and our world can only be met through Him? Like, that's, that's the issue. That's the question. Will we trust Him? Will we believe in Him? I want to read in Romans chapter 16. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. 
as we conclude our time here. And I was thinking about the application for this message, and I think it's the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, Hallowed be, your na- Hallowed be the name of the Father. And he said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because this is the, this is the deepest human struggle. Will we, will we trust God or will we look to ourselves? This is Herod and the Pharisees. This is, this is the invitation to not our will but God's will. And then it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Will we trust Him to meet our needs? And he says to pray, forgive us as we forget our debtors and keep us from temptation and evil. That's the application for us, I think, of what Jesus is saying. And Paul, many years later, after hearing this story of Jesus from Mark and from others, the very story we just read this morning, and after he understood and he began to explain it, this is what he says, now to him who is able to establish you. That word means to strengthen it means to hold you. He's saying, Jesus is that rope that will hold you up. When it feels like you don't have enough, when it's not in you, he says, he is able. God is able. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God is able to strengthen you, to establish you, to hold you fast in accordance with my gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message I proclaimed about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages. See, many people miss it. Many people don't see it. They're asking for signs. They're saying, if only, but, but Jesus is right here. He's inviting us to believe, to trust him, to put our faith in him, to step out in obedience to him. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. He's revealed it to us. It's right here. It's right in front of us. Do we see, do we hear that all the Gentiles, that all people, all nations, Jew, Gentile, all people might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. As your bulletin says that we're going to sing a song called The Commission, we're actually just going to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. So if you guys know the words, please sing along with us.
person in town. Nothing can force in a tongue. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing Have a good week, everybody.